I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it? With no investors and without an Ivy League degree, this podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. All right, all right. Welcome back to the Investment Fund Secrets show. And today we got Carlton Dennis on. Carlton, welcome on. Good to see you here, brother. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. So real quick, give us the, the two minute, you know, elevator pitch on you and what you do at Tax Alchemist and all your kind of stuff. And I know it's a big, it's a big overview, but if you can press it down to two minutes, what would the elevator pitch be? Okay. There's a difference between CPAs and tax strategists, right? You're typically meeting with your CPA during the months of January, February, March, and April. And you're typically doing tax compliance, filing your tax return, handing over your W-2s, your 1099s, and your profit and loss statement. But most business owners, real estate investors are making financial decisions all year long. And so as a tax strategist, I'm there with you as you're making financial decisions, showing you how to leverage the tax codes to reduce your tax bill in real time. So I have a lot of fun being on the phone with a lot of clients, a lot of investors like yourself, Bridger, and uh, I'm helping you leverage the tax codes to the fullest extent. That was pretty, I, that was pretty good, actually. That was a good little, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to be talking tax strategies. We're going to be getting into the, the, the weeds in today's episodes. You've actually worked with a number of funds. So we're going to talk about general partners, how to manage taxes in the general partnership, limited partnership. It'll vary obviously between funds. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, I want to talk about Biden's tax plan proposals, things that are potentially coming up, things that you can do, whether you're running a fund or not, things you can do personally. I know you have a number of videos in your YouTube channel, how to buy supercars and have them tax write-offs, things like that. So, right. all right, let's get into it. First thing I want to ask, I want to ask your thoughts on the current, uh, I guess we've, we've seen major tax changes the last six years from, from in the United States, Yeah, huge tax changes. Um, right now, the Biden administration is pushing and proposing for other major tax overhauls. They want to change, they want to get rid of 1031 exchanges. They want to raise capital gains, I believe, to 43%, currently at 20%. So doubling that's if you sell a stock or any asset, you pay capital gains. Uh, if it's in it's long-term capital gains of over a year. Um, they also, they actually, the G7 met this week talking about uh, universal minimum corporate tax of, I believe it's 28%. Correct. Is that correct? That is correct. Raising it from 20%. So we have some major tax changes potentially coming in. And I believe the goal is to tax the rich. That's what it sounds like, right? It's all under the name of tax the rich or tax the wealthy. What are your thoughts? Will these changes actually accomplish that? What do you think? Um, so my personal opinion is um, lawmakers and um, officials typically are always trying to increase tax rates. But one of the things that the wealthy have figured out is how to avoid income tax. So if we're constantly going after income tax and trying to increase income tax rates, the wealthy are going to find ways to avoid having taxable income. So there's been a proposal right now. There's been talk about having a wealth tax instead of an income tax, but it'll be something that we'll have to see over the next couple of weeks and next couple of months. So what would that entail? Like if you're, if you own like Jeff Bezos, your Amazon stock, if it goes up 10, are you taxed on the valuation of your stock? Like what, how does that work? What are they proposing? So one of the things that they're proposing is rather than just changing percentages, because that's really not going to have an impact on the wealthy. If you look at Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, they're 
tax rates are pretty much less than 5%. So they're not even going to be impacted if we were to increase those tax rates. So what some lawmakers are suggesting is possibly having a wealth tax. If you're in a certain income bracket or if you have a certain amount of wealth, that you're going to be subject to a special type of tax that they haven't identified yet. So right now it's just news and all of us are waiting around to see what they're going to propose. So there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing concrete yet. Cause that's the hardest thing, right? Like, and, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I have capitalist t-shirts and all sorts of stuff. Like I'm a true, I'm like a capitalist to my core because I believe it creates efficient companies, efficient markets. At least it feels like around, we don't have capitalism currently. Yeah. We, we, I don't think we do currently at all. I, I actually almost, and this is, this is me getting out there. I almost think China is more capitalist than we are. I mean, China, you have workers staying up late, working hard companies. I mean, they are cutthroat capitalists in a communist country. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, I had someone on my show tell, say that. And I like, I love that. I was like, I actually, I almost, I almost agree with it. I don't agree with it hundred percent, but um, that's happening. So do you think now, and just in your opinion, if they try to do a wealth tax, will that even happen? Cause they, I mean, these wealthy and let's talk, we're talking the 0.0001%, right? Right. Um, they can just move assets to other countries, offshore accounts, things like that. Do you really think they're going to be able to accomplish the tax, the rich plan? Or what I've seen, at least in my analysis, is every time they try to do that or they raise taxes or corporate tax, it always just hurts medium sized business owners the most. Yes, absolutely. Business owners that make, you know, two to maybe 25 million a year, whatever their, their business revenue wise, it hurts middle to up like that middle upper class area the most. Yeah. And um, thoughts on that? Yeah, because most of the middle class are trying to get into the wealthy class. But if you change the tax rates, you're going to have an impact on the middle class. The middle class are going to have to cut expenses somehow. And typically, they're going to cut expenses by laying off workers. So as many people are trying to figure out what can we do to um, eliminate some of America's debt, should we tax the rich, should we tax the wealthy? It's actually going to have a bigger impact on the middle class who can't afford better accountants to avoid tax associated with these increased tax rates. Um, So we are going to see an impact on the middle class greatly. Interesting. That's, and then, sorry. And back to the, so we we're talking, you know, that's one, you know, the wealth tax back to, you know, 1031s capital gains. What's your, do you think they'll get it passed? Do you think this is something that we should be planning for and praying for? What are your thoughts? So one of the things that I probably think will get passed is the corporate rates changing from 21% back up to 28%. I feel like Biden's administration will probably get that passed because The C-Corp rates were um, reduced by the Trump administration from 35% down to 21%. They're not trying to propose going back all the way up to 35%. They're gunning for 28%. So I see that being something that could be approved. Uh, The 1031 exchange talk is one that has a lot of my investors on their toes because a lot of investors um, avoid capital gains tax by performing 1031 exchanges. And if you are performing a 1031 exchange and you're expecting a gain in excess of of half a million dollars, now you're going to be uh, subject to these uh, capital gains tax that Biden's proposing at a rate of up towards to 43%. The 1031 exchange, though, has been in the tax law for so long and it has not been affected for so long. So many tax professionals like myself believe that that's one law that may not change. The capital gains tax rate, however, is something that could change. And that is going to have a dramatic impact on everyone. Um, and so this is one that we have to keep our eyes on. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, what they do. I, I agree with you. I, I think 1031 is going to be a hard one to pass. I mean, 
all these politicians are wealthy. They all use a 1031 a lot. I, th- I just feel like that would be a hard one to pass for everyone. Um, and I think you're, you're spot on. So now let's get to strategies, though. Let's get into, you know, there's two things that are always certain in life, right? Death and taxes. I love that quote. You know it. And every time Congress meets, it feels like our taxes go up. And so that's why we hire people like you and your firm, right? That's right. Uh, and, I, and I love, by the way, shout out to, and people that just hopped in the live stream, whatever, Carlton's YouTube channel, incredible. Um, it's called the tax alchemist and shout out to them. Go give him a follow. He goes, he has tons of videos on different types of tax strategies and we'll probably dive into some of those right now. So, um, as far as someone, let's start, uh, let's start simple. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, you're just getting started. You maybe made some money on Dogecoin or whatever, right? You've made your, made a little bit of money. You got a, a job, you're getting in the workforce. What are some quick win tax things that a beginner could do to help their taxes a lot. And then let, we'll go advanced here in just a second. But let's talk beginner, quick things that they can do to help their taxes. What are some things? Yes, so the first thing that you have to understand if you're trying to avoid taxes is you have to understand the difference between ordinary taxpayers and what a sophisticated taxpayer is. An ordinary taxpayer is typically someone who's working for someone, so they have earned income. So they're gonna be limited by the government because the government realizes that you're working for someone else. So if you're working for someone else, maybe you're putting a little bit of your money into the market, the government's gonna allow for you to possibly contribute to a 401k or take the standard deduction. If you're a homeowner, you can itemize your deductions right off maybe your property taxes or your mortgage interest. And if you're philanthropic, you can give gifts to charity. But outside of that, the ordinary taxpayer is very capped. You can go set up a traditional IRA and contribute up to $6,000 and receive a tax deduction for it. But that's about it, especially if you start to become a high income earner. So what we have to do is we have to start becoming what's called a sophisticated taxpayer. A sophisticated taxpayer is a taxpayer that has portfolio and passive income. Bridger, like yourself, you got into rental real estate. Real estate allows for you to have depreciation that gets to work against other versions of income. And so the sophisticated taxpayer can leverage all types of write-offs and they can convert their lifestyle into a business. So the personal um, ordinary taxpayer may not be able to write off their home office or their vehicle, but as soon as they become a sophisticated taxpayer, they get to leverage some of those expenses that were personal as a business. Mm. I love that. That, That's that. Well, so you're kind of, your hands are tied. You're W2 employee. There's not much you can do unless you start thinking bigger. You mentioned real estate is a great example. I love, uh, Real estate, you get appreciation, depreciation. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many, you get your capital, your rental income. There's just so many great things with real estate. And that's why it's the tried and true model for everybody. Um, so as far, let's let's dig into that a little bit further. Is that, you know, to become a, let's say you're in a W-2 or whatever, to become a sophisticated investor, does that mean, okay, I need to go out and buy a rental property? Should I set up an S-corp? What are some things there that most people generally do? Yeah. So most people will generally go and buy a property in their own personal name at first because maybe they haven't done a whole lot of research to set up an LLC or maybe they don't have the money yet where it may make sense to set up an LLC. But it is always advised, at least by tax professionals, that you are starting a real estate business thinking with the end goal in mind. And if the end goal is to eventually live off passive income and get to a place of retirement, then you're going to do so in the right steps possible. And having an LLC and separating the liability from yourself would allow for you to protect your asset from your personal banking accounts and checking accounts where you might have your children's IRAs and college savings funds. So I do think it's important for you to first start off finding a mentor, someone who you like that has proven that they um, have some somewhat of a lifestyle that you desire, Um, and then see how they got started. Hopefully they've been able to show a little bit of a roadmap. I know that early on I was doing a lot of research in real estate before I ever pulled the trigger on buying my first property. 
I think that's I think that's spot on. And and back to your original like opening comment of there are accountants and tax people that'll help you file your taxes, right? Yeah. They'll they'll file and they'll be great. It's a totally different model of a tax strategist and someone like you who will sit down in your company. They'll sit down and say, okay. The next, what's our three-year, five-year plan? What are we going to be doing? What, what, where are we going to be drawing income from? How can we depreciate assets? How can we, you know, reduce our taxes um, as well? And so, I think that's that's spot on for people finding a mentor. And again, plug your guys' channel. I think it's amazing. Tax Alchemist. Go check out Carlton stuff. They do a great job. So now let's go a little bit more advanced. Now I think most listeners on our show, uh, we have a more, I would say, a sophisticated audience, right? We've yes, we've yeah. got the S corp set up. We've got a few rental properties. Let's go a little more advanced, and it might be harder for you to answer some questions here because it's it's really case by case basis. But right. um, I know on your your channel you talk about hiring your kids. There's other there's other things you can do. Let's go a little bit more advanced. Of okay, I'm making I don't know a, a few million dollars a year. I've got maybe a rental property. I've got my business income. I've got a few streams of income. What are some more advanced strategies? that typically you don't hear about that people could could look into or maybe look on your channel for more help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as we start to get into more of the advanced strategies, what we start to do is we start to leverage family members. Part of the reason why is income shifting becomes an important task for us um, from a tax strategy perspective. If I can move income off your tax return and put it into another entity structure where there might be other family members who work underneath that entity, I can save you tax dollars and help grow your finances for your children. So one of the things that we do is we look at setting up management companies. Some of our um, higher net worth individuals get to a place where they can have the time to manage at least some of their investment properties. So we can set up an S corp or C corp management company, hire their children through this management company and place them underneath payroll so the children can get a deduction up to the standard amount, which is $12,550 here in 2021. So that gives um, the tax taxpayer a pretty sizable deduction per child that they may have, not to mention if they want to grow tax-free dollars for their children, this is a way in which they can establish a Roth IRA through that S corporation or LLC, whichever entity structure that we deem necessary in the tax planning, so they can grow tax-free dollars for their children right now. And not to mention, if you're managing your property from the convenience of your home, it's another way for you to capture a home office deduction. It's another way for you to write off a vehicle. I know a lot of people have done some research on vehicles being over 6,000 pounds. This is another way for you to be able to capitalize having an investment vehicle inside of your business. So real quick, let's go back to the kids, right? So $12,500, you can pay your kids any age, right? Does it matter the age? So you, you would want the children to be 18 years of age or younger, oh, okay. yeah, um, or else we, we will start have to getting into payroll tax. And depending on the entity structure, we'll determine if you have to pay payroll. S-Corps and C-Corporations have to process payroll for their kids, LLCs do not. So if you place a child who's 18 years of age or younger underneath an LLC management company, there's no payroll taxes and no tax return that gets processed. Interesting, so now, so then, I mean, I've seen, I've heard at least, correct me if I'm wrong, but you'll 12, five a year, that the parent doesn't actually give that to the kid. They put it in a Roth, like you mentioned, a Roth IRA or an investment account somewhere else that they manage as well. Maybe the kid's name's on the account or whatever to build credit, but is that is that an appropriate strategy? And they help those things grow over the next course of their life, is that right? Yeah, so you're, you're pretty much nailing it on the head. A majority of my clients aren't actually giving the kids the money. They'll establish a bank account to show on paper that money was moved over, but then the parents have access to those funds. So if they need to, they can invest them back into the business, or if they want, they can truly start a Roth IRA and fund, uh, funnel money into a kid's retirement account right now. Um, and it's just another sacrifice that the parent can make 
to grow tax-free dollars for their kids. Hmm. Wow. And is there, is that a hundred percent tax right off that 12, five every year? Yeah. This is something that you can do every single year. Wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And then do you have to prove, you know, your kids are actually working in the business. They need to be like, they, you know, they help me write little notes to my client. They're like, whatever. Do you have to have, I mean, uh, if you got audited or something, right, you should have some kind of proof or what's, what's the, I guess, compliance of doing something like that. Yes, absolutely. So I, um, I love having this conversation with clients because as a tax strategist, it's my job to educate you on how you can utilize the tax code. Whereas my CPAs inside of my office, they're doing compliance. So they're just going to ask for you to give, to take your information. They're just going to file a return. They're not there to coach you on how you're supposed to take a write off. The tax strategist is. So when it comes down to how do we leverage children underneath a management company? Well, children sometimes can be doing strenuous activities, right? Actually picking up staples off the ground and maybe uh, sending an email, but the IRS never defined that the children have to do strenuous activities. So a lot of our clients who are running management companies are now advertising their children as a part of their management company business. They take a lot of photos and they're putting together emails and brochures showing that they are managing their properties like a real business. Not to mention they're taking the opportunity to establish a website, which is a paper trail in the event of an IRS audit showing that your child was used for advertising services inside of your organization. Mm, gotcha. Really cool. Um, yeah, it pays to have some kids. Do you have any kids? I do not have kids yet, um, but I know that there will be some strategies that I will have ready for them when that day comes. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I have a, I've got a baby on the way due in September of this year, so oh. we're excited. It's going to be fun. Um, first, first baby, baby boy. So, but I'm all, <laughs> yeah, maybe awesome, I'm more excited right? for the tax benefits, but <laughs> no, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I did, I did see that you and your wife were taking some time, uh, vacation a little bit and I saw the little baby bump. I'm super excited for that. Yeah. It's going to be, we're pretty <laughs> excited. I need some, uh, I need some, some dad tips as well. It's going to be a whole different game. So oh, well, the way you carry yourself, it. I can already tell you're going to be a great father, man. Um, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, but I'm excited though. I love, I'm excited to have a family and, and do that whole thing. So, um, now you touched on one more point and then we're going to, we're going to switch topics here in a second, but you touched on vehicles. Yes. This is, I think a hot topic. A lot of people, um, I actually, I love, I love cars and vehicles. I don't really post them. I just don't want to be that guy on Instagram, but I've, I've got some fun <laughs> but you, toys. You gave and, away vehicles too, Bridger. I did hear that you gave away a vehicle because you're a, an avid Utah jazz fan. At least that's what I'm hearing. Well, it, yeah, we, well, this is on the DL. We have not done it yet. We actually are teasing it. We're, we're actually the plan is to do it. And what and people that are watching live, you'll see it. We're coming out probably about a week and a half. We've got a car anyways, coming a little fun giveaway we're doing. Um, but yeah, that, another great tax write off as well. Um, but we bought, I, we bought, I bought an Audi R8, um, I don't know, eight months ago and, and it's been way fun. And we, we put it through our business and did the whole thing in deduction. So, um, yeah. Now that's that car's not over six thousand pounds. No, it's not. It's not. So walk us through, uh, you know, people that want to buy a Lambo or or want to buy a G wagon that's over six thousand pounds. What are some car tax strategies that people can use around vehicles as well? Yeah. So first thing to understand is vehicles that are not over six thousand pounds, you can depreciate them inside of your business, which means that the government's going to tell you that you can write them off over the course of five years. You can claim what's called bonus depreciation, which pretty much means is that if you have anything that you place inside of your business that the government says has a useful life of 20 years or less, 
you can accelerate parts of that depreciation. Mm -hmm. So let's just say, and I'm just using a random number, let's just say Bridger's R8 was $50,000. On a normal depreciation method, he would only be able to take $10,000 each year in a write-off. But leveraging bonus depreciation, he can accelerate that amount so he's taking more in that first year. Just know that when you have a luxury vehicle, there is a luxury vehicle cap on how much you can take in a deduction in that first year. Now, if you are someone who is into bigger cars, such as the G-Wagons and the Ram LT 1500s, those bigger cars, and even the Tesla Model X, then you can go ahead and uh, leverage the 179 uh, IRC code section 179, which allows for you to take a full vehicle write-off in the first year on a vehicle that's over 6,000 pounds, leveraging bonus depreciation as well. So let's just say Bridger decided to get a uh, Tesla Model X and let's just say the purchase price was $100,000 and it's strictly used for business, which means 100% of that vehicle is for business. Underneath code section IR IRC 179 plus bonus depreciation, he can write off that $100,000 of that vehicle, whether he financed it or not. Um, and that would dramatically reduce his tax bill in that current year. But then Wait, the so if I, hold on, yeah, hold on. If yeah. I, $100,000, if I took out a lease, or not a lease, let's say I did a, I put down 10 grand and, you know, financed the $90,000, I can write off the whole 100000 That's correct. Oh, wow. No That's way. correct. That's correct. And then, and then, so hold on, hold on, what happens if I sell the car? So I, I write it off year one, year two, I sell the car for, I mean, actually car prices are going up right now. Let's just call it a hundred. Let's say I bought it for a hundred. I sold it for a hundred. Yes. Do I pay as there a, you know, anytime I have gain or I got to pay that you're, back yeah, or something on the depreciation? How does that work? Since you took all your depreciation, your cost basis went down. So you're going to have a huge sizable gain if you were to sell that vehicle. So a lot of mm -hmm. people do is they exchange their vehicles for new vehicles inside of their business, something that you can do with your tax strategist. So you just exchange it into a new vehicle? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our clients will just buy a new vehicle. I love this. This is great. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it, Carlton. Um, sorry, I cut you off. What else were you saying on, on the vehicle stuff? Or is that oh, it? Oh, no, no, no. Just uh, something to be mindful of is that um, it does not matter whether you're making a million dollars or you're making $50,000. The IRC 179 is a tax code that you can leverage um, if you qualify for it. If the vehicle's over 6,000 pounds and it falls on the approved IRC list, then you can go ahead and take that uh, depreciation deduction in the one year. Jeez, that's awesome. Now for um, like my car, Audi R8, right? Yeah. It's not over 6,000 pounds. Um, how does that, is it a similar rules? Just you just get less then or what, how does that work on a, maybe a, a Lamborghini or something about some kind of car like that? Yeah. So we have clients that like a majority of our clients actually all have luxury cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, R8s. One thing that we always educate them on is just know that you can't write off 100% of that vehicle in the first year because it does not meet the qualification IRC 179 over 6,000 pounds. It's broken down over the course of five years. So the government says that a vehicle has useful life of five years. So whatever your purchase amount is, we're able to take that purchase amount if you're doing depreciation over the course of five years. Okay. If you chose to lease the vehicle, some of our clients lease the vehicle, then we're writing off actual expense. So your car payments, your car insurance, uh, the tires, the gas, and the maintenance that you're putting into that car. Gotcha. So the, just the lease, if it was like a two grand a month or something, that lease or six, whatever it is, just would calculate for the year for 12 months. All those would be expenses pulled off the car. Exactly. Off business. And yeah. that could be a pretty sizable expense if you're 2000 a month. That's a $24,000 deduction, not including tires, maintenance, or gas. Is there a cap on that? No. Huh. 
There's no cap? Yeah, you can write so off your, literally, you're taking your vehicle deduction, um, actual expense, there's not a cap on that. Wow, gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's that's insane. Yeah. And so it's just a straight, yeah, straight expense. Wow, that's yeah. uh, that's Now, awesome. there's also another method that probably not too many uh, real estate investors are, are leveraging, but more of like your Lyft, Uber drivers, and maybe your physicians, which is mileage. You can take 56 cents per mile. So it's important to track both if you're unsure of how much traveling you're going to be doing throughout the year, because at the end of the year, your tax strategist can just decide whether or not to take actual expense versus mileage on your tax returns. Gotcha. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, I love it, Carlton. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for people again to go check out, you got a ton of videos on cars on your channel and you probably go through in way more detail as well. Carlton, I want to ask you, how'd you get it? How'd you get into this? How'd you I get know. in this tax? I mean, obviously you got a great channel, great online presence. How'd you first off get into tax strategy and then also doing this online and teaching other people how to do it? What's kind of your story? Yeah. So, um, I have a funny story. I uh, graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, played football there, uh, got a career in sales, uh, working for Gallo Wine Company, loved it, killed it while I was working there. Uh, realized that my mother was uh, building and scaling her own tax and accounting firm that she had had for over 25 years. She had no sales team. She was completely word of mouth, book and news and radio. So I decided to propose to her that I can build a sales department inside of her company when I did this, I joined her firm and actually started working on my fitness business um, because I was still very attached to the fitness industry. After spending about three months inside of her organization, I saw that she was closing tax planning clients who um, had tons of real estate and tons of business and she was charging more than I ever could charge to train you uh, to get you into the best physique in the world. So I just started learning a little bit more about what she does. Then I stumbled across Robert Kiyosaki, Tom Realwright, Grant Cardone, and I went down a rabbit hole of just information. I soon got my tax license, invested in my first rental property, became an enrolled agent, which is the highest designation that the IRS gives you. And then I started doing tax planning and started the YouTube channel. Um, and so now our company, we have about 28 staff members um, who primarily just service real estate investors and business owners. So it's been a fun transition. Gee, that's awesome. How long ago did you start kind of the channel and, and your and get into that? So the YouTube channel was started right around the middle of COVID. So I'd say July was when we posted our first tax video. Wow. Um, and then uh, just recently things are starting to take off. So it's been nice. So really in the last year? Yeah, all in I the mean, last not, year. Not long. Um, well, congrats on the incredible growth your, your channel has had and everything. And, and it's been fun to, to meet and see your videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, I love it. So family business, your mom gives it to you. I, I love that. You helped your mom and, and scout. Does your mom still work as well? She does. Uh, very not hands-on anymore. She's more of a, more like the CFO, CEO role. Um, just kind of handling the finances and speaking on the news channel. She does the news channel once a month. Um, so that's something that she looks forward to. Uh, but those keys have kind of been handed over to me and my brothers. It's been an honor yeah. to um, take over the business and run things uh, for her and um, we've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed the opportunity, man. I love it. All right. So let's, um, let's, we talked, you know, personal, you know, cars, we've talked, <laughs> you know, S corps, hiring your kids, all kind of stuff. Let's now talk funds. So our, I mean, our show is investment fund secrets. We talk funds, private equity, hedge funds, venture capital. Um, talking earlier, you said that you've worked with a number of general partners, um, and limited partners investing into funds. Yes. Um, so let's talk tax strategies around, a general partnership first. So if you're a fund manager, what are some, um, you know, some, I guess, unique tax strategies that you've seen around a general partnership versus other businesses? Yes. So m most of my general partners 
are real estate professionals and they're leveraging the cost segregation strategy. If I could just take the opportunity to say that my favorite tax strategy in the tax code is the cost segregation study, it is absolutely my most favorite tax law. And part of the reason why is because it is a deduction that is given to you when you decide to buy real estate, whether you financed it or not. So, so many people get into this argument around whether stocks are better or real estate is better, but you can, you, you're never given depreciation when you decide to invest in stocks. Depreciation is given to you on the entire asset. So if you're someone who is running your own fund, the goal would be for you to perform that cost segregation study as soon as you get into that investment property so you can accelerate depreciation and offset the taxable income from the, the rents that you're receiving so that all of your limited partners at the end of the year when they receive their K-1s are getting a loss on their tax returns and avoiding a majority of the tax associated from the cash flow that they received all year long. That is probably the biggest strategy that the general partner needs to know before they even go into setting up a fund is like, what is a cost segregation study and how can that impact not only the general partner, but the limited partners. And that's for a real estate fund specifically, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a limited partner in two real estate funds. And the last three years, yeah, I've gotten like negative 25,000, negative 21, something like that. And I'm yeah. like, the first year I was like, are we losing money? Like what's going on? And then I, I was, I was like, oh no, no, they're just depreciating all the assets. And this is fantastic. Yes. This is the best thing. I'm, I'm apparently I'm on paper. I'm still making money, but I've, I'm showing a loss on my taxes and, uh, I, I love it. So to run a cost seg segregation study, yes. um, hiring a firm or doing it in house. What's, what's kind of the plan to do that? How does that look? What does that look like for a fund manager, someone running a, a general partnership for a real estate fund? Yeah. So there are cost segregation uh, firms that you can partner with where they will go ahead and send out engineers to that property and they're going to do a full appraisal and assessment. And part of the reason why they're doing this is because they need to identify all of the components inside of that property that do not have a useful life of 39 years. If it's commercial, property with commercial use or 27 and a half years if it's a residential property. So most components inside of your property already don't last 27 and a half years or 39 years. Washers, dryers, appliances, flooring, windows, the roof, all of these different components can be written off over the course of 15 years, seven years, five years. And sometimes you can even write off these components in one year. Any improvements that you decide to make on the property or the investment also can be written off in the same year if you decide to leverage bonus depreciation in combination with the cost segregation study. Hmm, really cool. Wow. Yeah. Does this also apply for uh, like a private equity fund if you're buying other businesses? Uh, you're coming in buying businesses. Do you, you know, same cost segregation now. So you send a team over, yes. they tear apart the company and depreciate. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So this is also really cool when you're buying other businesses because you can identify uh, items inside other businesses that can be depreciated in a quicker amount of time. So we have clients that are acquiring other businesses that are um, identifying assets inside the business that they wish to depreciate. Um, in a quicker amount of time as opposed to depreciating those items over the course of seven years. So for example, cabinets, desks, laptops, computers, rather than writing off these items over the course of seven years as equipment, you can choose to depreciate these items all in one year, including in, in some cases, part of the goodwill inside of the company that you're acquiring. Wow. I love it. So real estate, private equity, um, you know, a venture capital fund, would that apply there? Venture capital is a little bit different there. It just depends on how you're setting it up. I personally think that venture capital is great to get into, but there's not a lot of my clients that are there yet where they're going venture capital. 
Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And this, yeah, that's, this is spot on. Actually, something we don't talk about as much in our program and on our stuff is the taxes behind, you know, running your general partnership, running a cost segregation analysis, all that kind of stuff. I, I love yes. you bringing it up. So that's your, I, I love how excited you got to when we brought it up. You just had this big smile on your face like, yes, I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about this. What else? Um, are, what else? You know, that's, I love that that's, that's huge. It's crucial, especially for those types of asset purchasing funds huge benefit what other uh, benefits you see you know in a general partnership limited partnership structure for tax planning as well anything yeah. else yeah so uh, a, a few of my general partners have gotten to a place where real estate has become their main thing or running their fund has become their main thing and so they look to qualify to become real estate professionals at least those who are in the real estate field i primarily work with a lot of real estate investors bridger so i'm a i'm a little uh you know more catered to that uh, profession mm-hmm. Um, but those who are real estate professionals now have the ability to utilize losses to offset active income. So if you still have a spouse that's working or if you're now pulling out money out of the stock market or you decided to pull out some of your profits out of Bitcoin, Ethereum or uh, one of these other altcoins, now you have losses that gets to work against that income. So I have clients that are profiting from the stock market and pulling out gains knowing that they would normally have to pay capital gains tax on it. But since they qualify as a real estate professional and they accelerated depreciation by performing cost segregation studies, they're not paying any taxes based on the gain. And some of them, some of them have even gotten to a place where they're 100% tax free. Wow, really cool. And that's, that's for you. And again, that's for managers who run a general partnership. Yes, correct? managers who run a general partnership because when you're on the limited side, you're truly passive. So that's going to be passive income to you, yep. which means if you have passive losses, passive losses can only offset passive income. But if you're on the general partnership side and you qualify as a real estate professional, then your passive losses become active losses. Active mm-hmm. losses can offset active income, really all versions of income. Wow, really cool. I did, I did not know that. That's yeah. You just taught me something right there. I didn't know. So, And to be deemed a real estate professional, is there something you need to do to, to deem that or to qualify there? Do you need to take a, a test or something? How does that work? Yeah, so which is really cool. My whole course that I'm working on is, is aimed to teach people how to become real estate professionals. And I think it's one of the best parts of the tax law. Um, it's a highly litigated part of the law, which is why I'm doing the training around it. In order to qualify as a real estate professional, the government says that you need to be a material participant in real estate and spend 750 hours actively managing your real estate to the level of trade or business, which means that you are going to need to have more involvement than any other person with your real estate. So in order to get to a place where you can qualify as a real estate professional, it's going to be really hard if you're working a nine to five job, because you're going to have to show that you're spending more time in real estate than you would in your nine to five job. So getting to a place where you can eventually qualify or a spouse can qualify for real estate professional will allow for you to activate the losses for both um, husband and wife on the tax return. Interesting. Now, if you're in a, a partnership, a general partner, and maybe I run the, you know, the tax and audit, the compliant, you know, help with investors, my partners run the real estate, but all of us together manage the fund. Would that, would that deem, you know, myself as the person that's kind of on the back end running the back end things? I'm not directly on the real estate. Would I still qualify there? So yes, those go towards your real estate professional hours. One thing though that the IRS identified when it comes to qualifying for a real estate professional is they want to see that you're spending more time than any other person. So let's just say you have five members that are all a part of this uh, this project together. Your hours that you spend would need to be more than any other person in that deal. It doesn't even matter if it's one hour more, but it would need to be more than any other person. So then we get into a situation, well, if I can't spend more than any other person in that deal, do I have another deal that I own that could qualify me as a real estate professional? Because mm. the IRS allows you to do what's called a grouping election, 
where you can just group your properties together and say, okay, I spent 750 hours managing this property, but I'm gonna allow for me to qualify for real estate professional status for all of my properties by doing a grouping election. Interesting, so sorry, to, to clarify that for a second, so five partners, back to that example. Yes. It, only one partner could qualify on one property, but you could split up if you had, let's say you had uh, five properties and five partners, each partner could take a property as their main property essentially to the IRS code and qualifies that real estate professional. Is that correct? That is correct. Gotcha. We, really would, have cool. to, we okay. would have to strategize ahead of time before you go into your tax uh, provider's office in January, February, March, and April, because by that time it's too late. The strategy would have already needed to be executed. And that's why you go follow the tax alchemist and follow Carlton Dennis online and, and hire their group as well. Um, Carlton, I love, man, this has been awesome. So um, for funds, cost segregation analysis, yes. real estate professional, these are you know, mainly for real estate funds and, and potentially uh, you know, for the cost segregation for an asset purchasing fund, where it could be different types of assets as well. Um, those Bonus are, those are I, did, I did not know. I said, again, I said about the real estate fresh. I didn't know about that. So number, number three, what do you got? What do you got next? Number three is going to be bonus depreciation. We have to make sure that that, that, that one is a part of this. And part of the reason why is many people who are going into funds. Um, they're making improvements, whether you're acquiring a business, or you're acquiring um, an investment property, you're going to make improvements. Any improvements that have useful life of 20 years or less, we can depreciate those items all in one year under bonus depreciation. So that's an important thing to remember. Hmm. So bonus depreciation on the assets you're buying. And again, for an asset purchasing fund, this is not going to work for a hedge fund though, correct? No. Buying stocks, it's not going to work for it. Would it, would it work for a debt fund? You're issuing loans and debt on properties? Probably not because you're not going to appreciate those, right? Won't no, work there. no, you just have the interest. Yeah. So asset purchasing funds, using the depreciation there as well. I love it. That's correct. Is there a fourth? Yeah. Ah, I would say, you know, getting to a place where you've leveraged your retirement buckets. I, mean, I know that... Um, um, a lot of clients who have funds are leveraging multiple entity structures. And the reason why is rather than having money come downstream to your personal tax return, you would rather have money go upstream to other entities that have different responsibilities. So I would say the fourth thing would be entity layering, right? Mm. When does it make sense for you to have a, a management company or an entity that sits on top of your current entity structure and that your current business is paying fees upward to a new company? So... Gotcha. All things I love to it. take into consideration. I love it. Those are spot on. Um, I, now, I want to switch gears again. So that's kind of the fun piece. Now, if you are, let's say, and we have a lot of people that follow us as well on the same category. You're a high net, or not even high net worth it. You're a business owner. You run a great business. You're having an exit this year. You're selling your company for, and you're going to take home 25 mil. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure you deal with this. I've, I'm sure you had a number of clients have a similar situation. Um, that's quite a big, uh, you know, taxable event happening. Yes. Um, what are some strategies you guys use to to prep for that taxable strategy and and help <laughs> that burden of a twenty five million dollar you know exit and then you're paying I don't know anywhere from twenty to fifty percent on that depending on your state. What what are some plans you guys do? Yeah. So if you're planning on getting a business evaluation and selling your business. The best type of vehicle to typically be in is a C corporation. Part of the reason why is there is a strategy that was hidden in the health bill that Obama released called the 1203 
uh, strategy that allows for you to do an installment sale over the course of five years so you can avoid 100% of the taxes. Now, this is typically on businesses that are being sold for 20 million or less, but you can still opt into this strategy if you speak with a tax strategist who understands how to utilize it. Now, let's just say you don't have five years and you're receiving this money now. Carlton, I can't pass on this opportunity. We're selling right now. Um, okay, great. Well, what we can do then is we can possibly roll over a, a portion of your proceeds into your own private family foundation. Since the government allows for you to roll over 30% of your adjusted gross income, you're going to be able to roll over quite a considerable amount into your own foundation that you have control over. Since it's a philanthropic vehicle, the government says that only 5% of what you put into that foundation actually has to go out to some type of qualified charity organization. So for example, if we rolled over $100,000 into a private family foundation, $5,000 would need to go back out the door to another 501c3 other than our 501c3. But it's a way for you to avoid having that money go all in a check to the government. And now you have control over what those that um, uh, foundation can do. Not to mention, this is another way for wealthy individuals to hire their family members underneath the foundation so they can drip money out to family members at lower tax rates. Now, is that foundation similar to a trust or a family limited partnership, or is it truly a foundation? It's underneath the 501c3 uh, uh, regulation. Oh, it is, okay. Yeah. So it's truly a charity foundation, charity kind of a thing, huh? Mm -hmm. Interesting. But it's uh, considered private family. So you're in control of, of those funds. Um, so you have a lot more control of, of what you're doing. Wow, interesting. Mm -hmm. So if you set that up now, just give us some, some loose numbers here. What is that, how much does that affect your taxes? What you were gonna pay before versus what you're paying after you do all that? Yeah, so I mean, getting a, it's a pretty much you're looking at a 30% deduction. So based on what your taxable income could be, if you're taking off 30% of that, wow, that's gonna be huge. So it's all relative to what other things that you have working on your tax return. But I mean, if you're taking 30% off of 15 million, that's a considerable amount of money. So we're looking at millions of dollars in tax savings that we're, we're saving there. Jeez. That's uh, that's really cool. I um, I I've, number one, I just I've really love this interview. You can just tell you're sharp. You know, you know, you know your stuff. What you're talking about, and number two, it just opens. I think people listening to it opens your mind to the all the things that you can do within tax planning, yeah. And what's out there and what's available. And it's and it's not you're not avoiding of tax evasion. It's not an evil thing. They've literally written this into the IRS code to motivate individuals to move money in certain directions. That's correct. They know they, it's not like there's this loophole, whatever they, they are doing this on purpose so that, I mean, a great example is like green energy, right? Just in general, if you, in the past, in the future, if you invest into certain energy types of things, they'll give you deductions. That's correct. If you have kids after world war two, they gave you deductions. They wanted you to do certain things and they found out People are motivated by money. And if you tell them uh, you get a tax write-off for buying an electric vehicle, people probably will start buying more electric vehicles. And so I just think that's a huge testament to what you guys are doing. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I know you feel the same way with, with tax planning as well, right? You just nailed it on the head, Bridger. People have to get to a place where they understand that the government pushes their agenda through the tax law, right? If the government wants you to invest in gas, they're gonna create gra gas credits. If the government wants you to invest in oil, they're gonna create oil credits. If the government wants you to invest in research and development, they're gonna create research and development credits. If the government wants more affordable housing, they're gonna give you depreciation knowing that that's a tax write-off that you get to utilize. So it's getting to a place that understanding that the tax code is truly like a rule book, a guideline on how you can avoid taxes legally, but you also have to play the game. 
And that's the one thing that the wealthy have mastered. They're willing to play the game and they enjoy playing the game. Mm, I love it. Okay, I've got one final question. I love asking my, my guests this. Um, and I'll give you a second to think about it and then we'll, we'll do one, well, I guess two more questions. But um, first off, how do people get in touch with you? I've already plugged your channel, stuff like that. But how do people get in touch with you and learn more how to use your services, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys uh, can, feel free to visit my website at www.carltondennis.com. You're more than welcome to schedule a coaching session with me directly, or you can get on the consultation uh, with my team. We offer complimentary consultations. Um, and then, uh, of course, you guys can always reach out to me uh, through my direct messages on Instagram and allow us at least 24 to 48 hours to respond. Carltondennis.com, is that right? That's correct. Carlton with the K. Okay. I love it. Go, go. Actually, I, you've almost, I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to set up comps. Like I want to, I want to sit down with you. I have so much stuff to learn about taxes. <laughs> I just, I just wrote a big check to the IRS and I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't, Ugh. I should have a better tax strategy. And uh, yeah, this is the time to do it, by the way. It's not a month before taxes are due. It's the year before taxes are due is where you got to start planning. Okay. La final question. I love asking my guests this question. Yeah. Carlton, this is, I'm going to open it up. You get two minutes. You can share whatever you'd like. We can talk. Uh, we can talk politics. We can talk religion. We can talk family. We can talk taxes. We can talk business. But if there's one thing you would like to leave with this audience, leave with this group, um, you know, something that's just in your soul that you feel like is just most important to distill on the people watching this, listening to this, what would it be? I'm putting you on the spot. I did not even tell you this question was coming. But yeah. uh, Carlton, you got two minutes. I won't even. I won't interrupt you. Here you go. Carlton cares most about helping other people build generational wealth. And when I come into people who understand that that's important, I do everything in my power to just try to listen to what they, what they already know and what they don't know in order to get there. As a tax strategist, it's very easy for me to see how wealthy people have gotten wealthy over the years of life. The Kennedys, the Bushes, the Trumps. It's very easy to see. But my goal now is to just provide that information in the most digestible format possible. And I think, um, I think that we're achieving that. But one thing is certain, you have to seek out information. In order to get to a place where you have your children's children in a comfortable position, you have to be the catalyst and you have to be comfortable being the one being uncomfortable. Um, so I've enjoyed being on this podcast with you, Bridget, and I think that um, it's gonna have a powerful impact for your listeners. I love it. CarltonDennis.com. Carlton, thank you for coming on. It's been fit. We're going to have to bring you back in a couple months. I, uh, I loved having you on today. Thank you so much. And again, CarltonDennis.com, Tax Alchemist. Go check out their channel, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. He's got great content on all of this. Um, thank you so much, Carlton. Thank, thank you. you. We'll end this right here. Bridger here. I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch the scale of funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com slash guide, 
you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? -on -one? Can we work together? Yes, I don't wanna talk about that in here, but if you wanna learn more, message me, Bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.